Welcome everyone to today's podcast. I'm Wilma Noah. I am the training and development specialist at the Native Learning Center, and I'm here with the other training and development specialist. Go ahead, Crystal. Hi guys, it's Crystal Sedino, Wilma's sidekick. <laughs> Hope you guys are doing well. And today's topic is Healthy Homes, Problems, and Solutions for Tribal Housing. And we have two guests with us today. That's Tata Atone and Dr. Yolanda Rodriguez. Go ahead and introduce yourself, ladies, starting with Tata. Okay, hi. Thank you so much, Wilma, for this opportunity to join you and Crystal this morning for this discussion. My name is Tata Atone, and I'm an enrolled citizen of the Kiowa Nation. I'm also the president of Jackrabbit Development and the executive director of Jackrabbit Homes. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I am Dr. Yolanda Rodriguez, naturopathic physician. Um, I'm from the Basquayaki tribe in Arizona, and my focus is in health and wellness using natural medicines and pharmaceuticals, but preferential treatment is with natural medications and herbal therapies as far as environmentally sound products. And I am very, very happy to be here on this discussion with you all so we can have a good conversation about how we can benefit all of our people. And thank you ladies for joining us today. We really appreciate you coming doing the podcast today. So give us a little bit about this topic and what uh, you would like to tell us about this. Yeah, sure, I'll take that. I uh, started Jackrabbit Development and Jackrabbit Homes after living in the Navajo Nation. I was practicing law out there at DNA People's Legal Services and I was living in a home my first summer that had no electricity. And then I was living in a home when I was there as a managing attorney with my daughter and the water that would come out of the tap smelled of sulfur and it would leave this orange film all over the dishes and the tub and it began to rot out my child's teeth. And the more I learned that most people's teeth in the community had rotted out. And so these impacts also living where we were, it took us an hour and a half to get to organic food. And so to feed my child berries or any sort of organic product, I would have to drive literally an hour and a half just to get to that resource. And so this experience really helped to drive home what's affecting our communities and that there are some different ways that we can start to redesign our communities to really have an impact on our health and our quality of life. And so that's really what became the impetus around a lot of what I do and how I got connected to Dr. Rodriguez. I guess let's kick it off with the first question, right? What are the health benefits of having a better insulated home? I mean, well, Tata, you mentioned growing up in, a, you know, unfortunately in a situation where it just seems like everything was kind of like falling apart. So go ahead, Dr. Yolanda. Well, as far as, you know, I am a, a medical doctor, naturopathic medical doctor. So my focus is always on health. And when you have a well-insulated home that's designed right and built well, you're gonna have a lot of health benefits. You know, the obvious, of course, is reducing energy costs. So if your house is properly built and insulated, you're gonna use less electricity and less resources to keep your home temperature controlled. So when that happens and you can reduce your bill, you know, the amount of money that you're spending on your electricity 
every day or your heating and cooling costs, then that's gonna reduce the amount of stress that you have financially. And if you have a decreased financial stress, then you can apply your finances in better places. So at that point, you can buy better food for your kids, you can buy better clothing, you can have resources and not have to think about it. You know, sometimes if you're sitting in a house that's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and you put the air conditioner down another degree and then you hear that, that air conditioner running all the time, that causes some stress because you're thinking, oh, am I going to be able to afford that electric bill? You know, and I'm living in Arizona, and I do know that in the summertime, June, July, and August, we have rolling brownouts on occasion, even in a, a huge metropolitan city like Phoenix, because of the amount of energy usage. So it's really important to have a well-insulated home. Um, not only that, the products that you choose to build your home with, it, it reduces the amount of toxins and pollutants in the air. So for example, if you have a house that is newly built and you've painted it with paint that's you know not the most expensive or probably the most budget friendly, there's a lot of chemicals in the, that um, paint that ends up in the air and you start to breathe that. So after a while, it can become very you know, detrimental to your health, especially your breathing. Also, you know, another thing is just acoustically. If you have a well-insulated house, acoustically, it's going to be a little bit quieter. And if you've lived in places where, you know, the walls are paper thin and you can feel the heat coming through the, the window panes and you can feel the heat radiating you know, off the walls if you get too close to them, you can also hear the dogs outside barking down the way, the neighbor's dog barking all night long. So you want something that's properly insulated to allow you to actually relax in your home where you don't have to think about how hot it is or how cold it is and bundle up and or you know limited clothing or you know that sort of thing and you can actually rest and be quiet in your home and not worry about noises coming from the neighbors or if you live near a street hearing the traffic going by. So in that way, you're increasing the safety and protection for your family, especially when it comes to things like asthma and allergies. It's been studied that cold houses in areas that have more snow or a lot of snow, then it can also lead to more physical stress too. It's been studied that it actually increases blood pressure and also increases the incidence of common colds. And when those things go up, then we also have the propensity to have more heart attacks and pneumonia. And there are studies out there that show that living in a too cold of house will do that. Also, a warm house would do that as well, too, because it's so hard to thermoregulate, especially as a person gets older. It's harder for their temperature to cool down and heat up, you know, and in infants, they're also in the same situation. So well-insulated home really helps with a lot of different health issues. You know, and again, like I said, like asthma and allergies, they're commonly triggered by molds. Okay, so the next question is, what do you do and what does it matter if your housing has mold in it? Molds can be particularly um, destructive, not just 
to the house. I mean, you know, if you've walked into a house and you go into, you know, you see the windows and they're all like lined up with some mold or some mildew, or you go into the bathroom and you see that lining around the tub or in between the grout, well, you know, the home's been invaded. It's been invaded by, you know, a toxin, mold, a mildew. And what that does is it actually destroys the house. If the house has mold in it, then it starts to release the mold spores into the air. And once the air is filled with mold spores, it goes into the lungs. There's one um, mold in particular that is extremely destructive to health, and that's called Stachybotrys. It's the black mold. And that one is virtually, you know, impossible to kill. You know, it gets underneath the water, lining of the toilet bowl and it can live it's really unique in that it can live in many different environments usually mold has to have a certain particular water um, moisture content in the air and also heat in order to flourish but the stachybotrys can grow underneath the water line in the toilet bowl and it's very difficult to remove people will pour bleach in there doesn't matter it'll come right back because all we're doing is bleaching the black out of the mold, the pigment out mm -hmm. of it, but the mold isn't dying. And those types of things, that gets into your body and it's terrible. It can cause things like asthma. So, and you know, asthma is one of the issues that affects the indigenous communities across the US. It's one of the number one health issues that we have. I think it's like in the top five. And what that does with the molds in the air, it can cause headaches, it can cause emphysema, it can cause kidney and liver issues, all of those terrible things that we don't need. You know, we get enough from air pollution and we get enough, you know, from walking around being human beings. But if we have that condition inside of our house, that's not a good thing. One of the things that we can look at too in regards to that is if we have to mold remediate, that means the person, you know, some companies will go in and just slap some paint on the wall and paint over it. That's not always effective. You know, the, the mold has to be removed. And once they start pulling off the walls and the drywall, sometimes that stuff is into the frame and the frame has to be removed. So then now we're talking, you know, a very expensive mold remediation issue. Now, wonderful, that sounds great. Let's go ahead and cut the bathtub out. Let's go ahead and cut the wall out. And let's go ahead and put a new one in. But when you do that, those mold spores get airborne. So now they're in the entire house. And if there's moisture in the house and not enough adequate lighting, you give a warm, damp, dark space for that mold to land in. Now you've got a problem again. It just spreads throughout the house. So it's really important to have good lighting too in the house. By lighting, like you mean like literal, like lighting to make sure like, you know, and what kind of lighting are you talking about? That's exactly what I mean. What kind of light, you know, like we're talking artificial lighting, yeah, maybe, but mostly <laughs> we would want some natural light to come in, some sunlight. Natural lighting is always the best. It does help to decrease the mold and mildew. You know, I know my grandmother, she would buy things, you know, and she would leave them outside in the sun for seven days to let the sun, you know, peel off whatever. Or if her whites were getting 
dingy, she'd make sure they stayed out in the sun a little bit longer because it does bleach out those types of, you know, organisms, molds and mildews and, you know, brightens the whites in, in the laundry. But now, you know, we all have automatic washers. So, you know, <laughs> nobody's thinking that way anymore. And that kind of precious knowledge that our ancestors hold, you know, kind of gets lost in the mix. You know, now we're learning to design better with better lighting, natural light. And the reason for that, I think um, it's important to have the natural light is because it does all kinds of things for us as far as health is concerned. Depression, right? If you have low light and you don't have enough sunlight, then, then there's a possibility for depression. For example, the people who live up north, they have an issue called SAD, which is Seasonal Affective Disorder because they don't get enough sunlight during the day. And it's mostly dark and, you know, kind of yin and kind of just really calming that they don't get the stimulation. And then after a while, they start getting depressed. So if they have more natural lighting in place, especially direct sunlight, you know, on occasion, that's where we build the vitamin D underneath our skin. 15 minutes of actual sun to skin contact is helpful. So the design of the outside of the house is important. So you want to have a space that you can be outside in the sun and be, you know, comfortable and, you know, not have a lot of stress in those areas. So yes, vitamin D is really important. The other thing about good lighting in the house, not only is it killing off that mold and not allowing the mildew to grow and combating depression, it supports proper circadian rhythms. Oh yeah, big word, circadian rhythms. What is that? Well, you know, everybody knows about the moon cycle. Sometimes it's a full moon, sometimes it's a dark moon, you know, sometimes it's really, really bright outside and you don't have to use a flashlight because it's so bright with the full moon. And other times, you know, you're walking along, it's like, is that a water puddle? Or is that, you know, a hole in the ground? What am I gonna step into? It's so dark. So it's important to know that, you know, that's the way that the earth runs is with circadian rhythm, you know, the, the daylight and the night. And what that does is with daylight, natural lighting, it goes in through the eyes all the way back into your brain. And in your brain, there's this little itty bitty thing called the pituitary lamp. And that is the one that produces all kinds of hormones and, and chemicals in our body, fights depression, that sort of thing. And it also helps us with sleep. So if we have the proper amount of lighting and a, a light cycle and a dark cycle, then it supports the production of melatonin. That's a big thing that's out on the market right now, melatonin. You know, oh, your kid's not sleepy, give them melatonin, you'll knock them out, <laughs> you know? And, and that kind of thing is, you know, although that's not really a good thing, a lot of people like it. And one of the bad things about a dysregulated circadian rhythm that's affecting melatonin means that your cycles are off. How does that affect us? not just with sleep, but also with ovulation and fertility. So people who are exposed to improper lighting, you know, where they never go with the rhythm of what's happening in the, in the earth, then they tend to stagnate. 
and then they their melatonin gets you know switched around and especially if people are supplementing with melatonin then they have more issues with fertility melatonin suppresses um melatonin comes up with ovulation so if you have if you have melatonin imbalance then ovulation isn't going to happen correctly and it affects men as much as it does women even though they don't ovulate but it does affect all of the hormones and as you know we need to take care of our endocrine system because that's also part of diabetes stress you know all that other stuff that comes with it so it's really important to have um, good lighting. One of the things that I think is beneficial, like I was saying before, is the design of the house so that you can go outside to the landscape and you can enjoy the sunshine and then the darkness outside on occasion. And if you have a good landscape plan, you know, maybe including some edibles or some medicinal plants, in your backyard or in the design space, you know, the neighborhood space, then that, that's going to be helpful for health as well. And why is edible and medicinal landscaping important for us? There are so many different ways that edible and medicinal landscaping is good for us. And, and you know, as a natural medicine doctor, that, that of course is my, my pet right there, having medicinal plants and edible landscaping it's important because it does connect us back to our roots. So it doesn't matter where you hail from, what part of the nation you live in, where your traditional grounds are is where your traditional foods are. So as you know, we have a lot of health disparities in indigenous communities. And a lot of that is attributed to diet. A lot is attributed to diet. So for example, here in the desert Southwest, we don't have the lush green that you have in Florida. We don't have that. So what we have is very, very sparse plants and very um, highly concentrated food, you know, caloric value to the plants. So for example, mesquite trees here in Arizona, those trees have been used for everything. The wood for housing, the wood for burning, the sap for cough medicine, the beans for food. But what has been studied in lab is that the bean pods of mesquite, if you take a quarter teaspoon of some of the fibers of a bean pod, then the sugar dysregulation is improved. So it is actually what's considered hypoglycemic food. It brings down blood sugar. We have stepped away from using mesquite. It's mesquite flour is very difficult to obtain. You really have to grind it, you know, the bean pods. And they used to have these matates and, you know, these stone tools to grind these mesquite pods to make mesquite cakes and eat that. So now if um, people just consume <laughs> some of their mesquite, powder, then it's very healthy for them and they can help regulate their blood sugar. Likewise, if you live in an environment that is very hot and humid, there's some good root vegetables out there that grow and are very cooling to the system and also stimulate circulation. You know, for example, garlic, you know, wild garlic, wild onions, you know, you can get those in places that have a lot of rainfall. 
And those are really healthy because they have things like quercetin in it. And that will help to bring down inflammation like for arthritis and other types of you know, cardiac issues. So it's very important to have good medicinal landscaping in my opinion. I mean, I could go on forever about that, but you know, <laughs> you know still we're still talking about design solutions. <laughs> You know, I have to reel myself back in. So, um, so again, the layout of your of your planning communities, of your communities, not just homes, but you know, offices too. They should incorporate some medicinal and landscape plants. You know, from the traditional, you tap into your roots. Not only that, I think it's educational as well, culturally. You know, to get back to our culture and to create pride in the culture. You know, it, I, think, I think it's wonderful if we can teach our kids traditional foods and the body will react and respond better to traditional foods than it would to, you know, something compressed and blended up and mixed up with a little bit of sugar and handed to you in a drive through window. So I think it's a lot better if you actually get your kids out and have them touching the plants looking at the plants, learning how their ancestors used it. Um, I have an amaranth plant in my backyard right now. It only grows in the summer here in Arizona, monsoon season. I had a landscaper come by and say, you know, you should really cut down that weed. And I, I'm like, my weed? And he's like, yeah, he's like, it looks like you're growing pot in the backyard. And I'm like, no, it's not, it's amaranth. It has these big leaves. And he's like, oh, well, he's like, I don't want people to talk about you. And, and I said, well, you can look at it as a weed, a plant that's grown where it doesn't want, wasn't intended. But I'm looking at that as my traditional food. Right. You know, right. you use amaranth grain, you know. <laughs> so it's all in the perspective. But he didn't understand what I was talking about until I had a conversation with him. And I said, this is our traditional food that's planted out here. And it's beautiful. And I'm not cutting it down. <laughs> and he's a landscaper. He should he's know. He's a landscaper. He yeah. should know. <laughs> he was, I guess he was one looking for a job. But two, really, you know, wanting to help me out with my landscape. <laughs> <laughs> and so can I also just touch on that as well, Wilma, your question about, sure. so part of the importance on the environmental side as well is that a lot of us already pay in our communities for landscaping or to have someone come out and landscape around buildings and things like that. And we're already using those resources like water to water those plants. Um, so when we look at things and we talk about communities that have food deserts, they get their watering grass or their watering trees that aren't producing anything with a slightly different design, then you're watering resources that can be harvested locally, that can do all of that educational and community building, but you're not having to then drive like an hour and a half in some case to get to local organic seasonally grown food. It's right. Right there in your community. So that really has an environmental impact, both in the transportation and how that affects greenhouse gas emissions released into the air, but also again in the finances. Right now you freed up a little bit of finances in order because you're producing food locally. And so there's been a lot of push in um, urban environments and particularly low income urban environments to start doing urban gardening. And they've seen a huge impact in their communities from that because one, now you're community building, but two, you're now producing this local food that people really couldn't afford to buy. I mean, organic food is expensive. And yes. you can't 
purchase it, then you're stuck with the rest, right? But I believe most of us would want to eat organic, one, it tastes better, but two, there are studies that have literally linked all of those chemicals thrown onto the non-organic food to cancers and all these other things. And so it really is having a health impact by not being able to access organic locally seasoned food. That's why I'm totally into community garden projects and urban gardens. We had a podcast on that not too long ago. And yeah, I think that's the way to go. Definitely. Tata, were you able to uh, find that documentary that I mentioned in the, the last one with uh, Zach Efron? <laughs> I haven't. I, I was actually telling Yolanda, we even talked about Zach Efron. I have not had a chance to look at that documentary. I actually cut off my Netflix uh, subscription a little back and went to Disney for the kids for a little bit. But I have not forgotten about you mentioning that. Yeah, uh, it's so good. And it's just, it's so funny how I think like I had finished watching that documentary like a week before our podcast recording. And I was like, I do know a little bit. I know a little bit of what we're talking about now. So that was, that was really cool to, you know, to kind of like dive even further into something that I thought like, oh, you know, like this was really informative and I'm going to try to do better. But then we had a podcast and it was like, okay, no, I'm going to do better. <laughs> like, you know, so it was cool. It was really cool. Good to hear. All right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was just wondering if you, if you got it, the chance to watch it yet. But you should if you once you do. <laughs> I will. I will. I'm in the current process of moving and packing up some stuff. So I've not had the luxury of sitting down to watch television. But when I do. <laughs> I totally hear you. All right. Um, let's, I guess, dive kind of back into... Um, building materials and so on and so forth. Uh, so uh, Yolanda Tata, I don't know who's going to be able to answer this, but how are the choice of building materials in your home and, you know, the buildings affecting, you know, our Native communities' health? Well, I'll, I'll get it started. And I think um, Tata could, will want to jump in on that as well. <clears throat> The choice of building materials, as I had uh, mentioned before, if you're painting the walls with a high VOC content, you know, it's a volatile organic compound is what a VOC is. That stuff, once you build the house, off gases into the air. And people who are susceptible to chemicals, they're not gonna be able to process that well. And not only that, once they breathe it in and you know, it, it gets in the air, so you actually ingest it with your food as well, then it's hard for the liver and the kidneys to get rid of it. And some, it's virtually impossible to get rid of, like lead poisoning, you know, mercury. Formaldehyde is one of the biggest um, things that they use um, that, you know, is part of the whole process of creating and making some materials. So when formaldehyde gets into the system or to the, to the house, you're exposed to that. And that causes some major issues, including dementia and also kidney, the kidneys. You know, the kidneys are in charge of blood pressure. It's in charge of proper muscle, um, you know, function because of the electrolytes, the calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium balance it's in charge of a lot of things. So when we have these volatile compounds in the air, in our homes, and we're breathing them in, our body has to eliminate that somehow. Those are synthetics. 
our bodies know how to get rid of natural stuff. You know, if you eat, you know, a piece of, I don't know, barley, then our body knows how to break that down and make that into energy. But if you ingest a little bit of formaldehyde, the body's looking around saying, uh, what is this? Am I supposed to keep it or get rid of it? You know, and our bodies are designed to be conservative. They do retain things. And our bodies hold that in the system. It's, it's really difficult to get that out, you know, especially if you're flooding your body with non-organic foods and not getting outside and not getting the exercise and not drinking water, clean water, you know, to flush all that out. It stays in there. So it's really important um, to me. And I've seen this happen on, you know, in, in different experiences that I've had with a lower income or budget type of building materials that they're using things that are not environmentally friendly. Um, and that increases the amount of birth defects, health issues, brain damage, you know, senility, dementia, all that. I mean, I could go on forever about the, the difficulties with it. Um, I do know though, if we're using some good materials to build a home, then we'll have less health issues. Um, for example, uh, there is some styrofoam blocks that we could use. There is um, some straw bale construction that has been used in the past. Um, I've also seen reports of recycled denim being used um, and just recycled wood not the recycled and reclaimed wood from an old building that's already been chemically treated and chemically processed, but some of the, the, the leftovers, you know, and it's being compressed and it's being, they're using um, this extra bark to make things like mulch and they have a very little chemical um, runoff or off-gassing is what it's called when you're using more natural products um, some reclaimed products, of course, are, are very safe. You know, like I was mentioning, uh, the denim and also the styrofoam. Those are really good articles to use that are pulling from the landfill and keeping the landfills, you know, clear and using things that don't off-gas as much because it's already been utilized. It's already off-gassed and, and that's more healthy um, it's a better substance, I think, to pull from, you know, to keep our buildings healthy. Tata, did you want to add to that? Oh, you know, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I want to first talk about that formaldehyde uh, and just sharing something that I learned. You know, when clothing says that you should wash it before you wear it, it's actually because most of our clothing is treated with formaldehyde, and that's what gives it that nice, crisp look when it's first at the store. But what you're doing is then putting that formaldehyde onto your skin and now your skin is absorbing it. And that's why they say to wash things. And I never knew that until maybe a couple of years ago and was like, oh, but man, it looks so nice when it's brand new, but oh. Um, so if you can purchase organic clothing and there are people who are really pushing towards these organic materials and the dyes also in your clothing that is then absorbed through your skin, when they're synthetic dyes, your skin is actually absorbing that versus natural dyes that are produced from pigments from nature. 
um, that it can actually be uh, medicinal as well, like turmeric, which can dye things yellow, which is actually a medicinal herb as well and has great health benefits. So just so you know, you should always wash your clothes first because that yes, yeah. is there. Um, but then on VOCs, our PVC, I wanted to talk a little bit about like PVC piping versus copper piping because I feel like this is pretty timely with COVID and Dr. Rodriguez can speak a little bit more about that. But copper has a lot of properties within its piping um, or within piping to kill bacteria. And so when uh, companies have moved towards PVC, PVC piping because it's cheaper, but it actually allows for the bacteria to, to sort of develop within those pipes over the long term. Now that's water you're drinking and putting into your body, right? So now you're ingesting all of that. So even making a little bit of a difference and it costs a little bit more to have copper, but the long-term impacts of that on our communities and our health is huge. Um, and then also with those materials that Yolanda was mentioning, um, there are some or some some communities are, that are going back to doing adobe as well and hempcrete as well that also help to absorb out the greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and one of the things also within these building materials that has this larger impact is that when all of the chemicals in your home are oil-based, um, homes used to take a couple of hours to burn down, but now we can see them burn down within a couple of minutes because there's so many oil-based chemicals there. And then that really affects your ability to get out of the home because if a fire breaks out in the evening and if you're sleeping and you only have five minutes to actually get out, that means that you can literally suffer the loss of people's lives. And that's happened in a couple of tribal communities where there wasn't enough um, emergency response in time to get to the fire to put it out and people were trapped inside and died. And so this actually has a larger impact about how we can be more sustainable with our, our properties so that we don't have that loss of life and less of property because everything is oil-based and something sparked it and now it's gone. Jeez, man. How, how um, I, I do have a question though. How would denim be utilized in the household as a, as a material? They're using it in the, in the walls in the walls and as better insulation, you know, an insulator, that sort of thing. Although I did ha do have a friend that's an herbalist in a little town down the way and she had a rug woven out of blue jeans and it was really pretty. <laughs> it was really nice and I'm like, Are, am I standing on Levi's here? And it, it was just really amazing. But mostly they're using it inside, you know, and it, it's, it's one of those ones that's emerging. I'm not sure that it's going to be as cost effective as, you know, like, you know, the styrofoam block that's coming out and that sort of thing. But, but I, you know, that's how we have to think. We have to be thinking creatively on how we're going to reduce waste and how we're going to decrease environmental impact. Because if we toxify the earth, then we toxify the food and there's, you know, a lot of problems that come with that and you know we don't even need to talk about that you can imagine just how many bad things happen when we destroy the earth absolutely like with the pvc piping and having to replace it often you're creating more waste <laughs> so we don't need any more waste no. we need things that are gonna like last and and you know help us as a community as a whole so how is airflow important to your health 
airflow in the design of the house, you know, when we're talking about the natural lighting, we're also talking about the design of the house itself on the inside to maximize airflow. Because once you have stagnant air, they, for a while they were building houses that had like accent windows up at the top, you know, and they were solid built into the walls and there was no way that you could open it. And they're designing a lot of public buildings like that too, schools, you know, that sort of thing. Then they're lining it with formaldehyde filled carpet. And then they're putting in VOCs, paint, you know, latex paint, that sort of thing. And then they're putting the kiddos in there and there's no ventilation. There's a little bit, you know, with the air, air conditioning coming in, you know, and the mechanical. However, that's not gonna be sufficient to allow all those chemicals to get out of the air. And not only that, then if you're living in a damp community like Florida and South Carolina, Georgia, if you don't have that adequate airflow, that mold and mildew grows again. So you do have to design with proper airflow in mind. And those windows that they were putting in that were just 100% sealed all the time, those could be replaced with open windows, windows that can slide open. And that way you can bring in the natural light and you can have some natural air coming in on occasion. There's a lot of talk about asthma and whether asthma is better indoors or if it's worse indoors. Well, that's gonna depend 100% on building materials and airflow. If you have those toxic things in there, asthma is gonna get worse. If you have a house that's built more environmentally friendly with a thought process of natural lighting, natural airflow, and using materials that are not toxic to the body, then the person is gonna be much, much healthier. It's a big consideration, I think. And like Ty had mentioned before, the design and the build of the community or a home or an office building before health problems arrive is important. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard of that Legionnaire's disease thing that they had once upon a time, and I, I believe it was the 70s, that a group, or 60s, that a group of Legionnaires, you know, went to a hotel, and they all stayed in this hotel, and somebody was very, very ill. And then everybody that was at this conference got ill and a ton of people died because of the ventilation. It wasn't clean. The toxin was inside of the vents and it was dispersing throughout the entire hotel. So people who went there got really sick and they do call that the sick building syndrome, you know, where we do have buildings that cause people to get sick. On the initial Sometimes you have to use better quality materials and a better design and put the money into the building before you run into health issues in the end. I know that a person who is on steroids, if, they're, if they have asthma, they're gonna take a steroid type inhaler. And then they're also gonna have a rescue inhaler. And then they might have another, you know, pharmaceutical on top of it. So it's easy for one person to have a pharmaceutical bill to manage asthma alone to be anywhere 
from $1,200 to $2,400 a month. That's without insurance. The design of adding a few, you know, a couple of extra thousand dollars on the front end of a building and the selection of materials and the layout and the design might be a little bit more expensive on the front end, but on the back end, you're not going to be spending $2,400 a month on one person with asthma. The cost savings is tremendous. I mean, I'm not a mathematician, thank goodness. I'm just a doctor, but <laughs> I will say that it's a lot of money. Okay. So, and, you know, that, that comes to the outside design too, the spatial placement, you know, of how the community is built. That's very important as well, because if you have it laid out correctly, then you're going to have good airflow between and aesthetically pleasing. You know, we want something that is aesthetically pleasing. That is part of the design. And I've lived in places where it's looking like it's supposed to be a, a storage room somewhere. And even though that's cost effective and it's efficient and it is housing, Long term, I think it's a better idea to have a properly designed home and a property, properly designed master planned community because you want pride. You want people to walk up to their house and say, oh, look at my pretty little tree out here and look at my little sage plant, look at my tomatoes. And then they go inside the house and then they're like sitting in natural lights and have good air circulation, not worried about the electric bill how we live is so important. It's so important for our health and our mental health as well. And also just to quickly, because again, COVID, right? It would be remiss if we didn't talk about that, but um, you know, having proper ventilation in buildings and outside and homes can really help as well with reducing this transmission of viruses and diseases. There we go, folks. There we go. That was awesome. I really appreciate you ladies joining us today. Thank you. It was such an honor. Fun. Fun. I learned a lot too. And thank you so much for uh, the both of you uh, giving us your tips and helping us out. And I hope that people can learn from this and it helps people, you know. So uh, Crystal, would you like to add anything? No, just um, thank you guys for being here and thank you for sharing your knowledge because that's essentially why this platform exists. You know, we're here to share wisdom and knowledge and let Native communities know that all of this is really important. And especially, I mean, for us, the Native Learning Center, part of our mission statement is to improve Native communities, essentially. And yeah, and you guys are helping doing that. So thank you very much. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. Yeah. All right, I think that's it. Yeah, uh, do you guys wanna give us your contact information or anyone out there if they you know, have any questions for you or anything like that? Yeah, please. Thank you so much for reminding me, Crystal. If you all have any questions, we'd love to gather more questions for that last podcast. And you can email us at builder at jackrabbitdevelopment.com. Again, that's builder at jackrabbitdevelopment.com. And we would be happy to answer any questions you have. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, guys, you'll catch us on the next podcast. For now, hope you guys are staying happy and healthy. Yes, take <laughs> care, everyone. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.